This is Rise of the Flying Guillotine. Argle Bargle. Back for more, I see. Episode 3 of Rise of the Flying Guillotine. I'm Neil Sarver. Welcome back. Or, welcome for the first time. I don't know. At this speaking, I have completed editing the first episode and let my spouse listen to it. But I have not put it out into the world. So that's a weird place to be doing this one from. They liked the episode. Overall, did not care as much for the flying guillotine sting as I do. Uh, Some of the other things. They thought a lot of the break-ins were a little too morning radio. (laughs) An easy way to know that you're going to reach right into my, my guts and pull them out. I I hate morning radio. It's not only that I hate the types of comedy that gets done in morning radio, but I also hate people talking on the radio in the morning. This is another one of those things that I run into that other people claim not to, but you know there's only so many people, and the fact that morning radio is so ridiculously popular. Morning shows are so popular within radio, and it's so hard to find places that will just mostly play music. A couple of them there are usually advertise that to people like me. We are probably less and less of a market because we can be served easily by Spotify or Pandora or something. Uh, whereas the people who need morning radio need the immediacy of that. It, it, even like podcasts, that some of it could be filled by podcasts, but not a lot of it. The immediacy of this is your drive time. We're talking to you about the commute, but we're also shouting at you and saying terrible things about your mother. Your mother sucks cocks in hell. <laughs> is, you know, part of the appeal of the thing that I don't know translates to a podcast. I'm sure that there are people who have similar podcasts. So I am not sure. Uh, From my perspective, I still kind of enjoy throwing those things in here and might continue doing it. I'll see how I feel. They found my podcast to be relaxing the rest of the time that it wasn't including sound effects and whatnot, which is not what I was hoping to accomplish. But that's okay, perhaps, since sometimes interesting things happen when you accomplish something different than what you set out to do. But I'm here. I'm also... The microphone that I have picks up my breathing in such a way that I sound like I've just run a marathon or something. So I'm not sure exactly how much of my breathing to cut back on. I didn't cut all of it. I'm also not sure how much of my rambling to cut out. In some ways, the point of it being a podcast by me 
and having any value as something must on some level involve my personality which is going to involve a certain amount of rambling and stories that come back from one side to another that go off veer off in varying directions and come back or don't or whatever so I fixed a certain amount of those where it seemed reasonable but I didn't fix all of them and where I find that balance such as where I find the balance in the issue of the breathing and other similar concerns is probably going to be an ongoing factor. Obviously, I don't want to sound like I'm dying since I'm not. I guess if I were, I, I probably still wouldn't want to put out a podcast that sounded like I was. And now we too have seen the future. Must it be our future? Now that we know, can we make sure it will not be? is that I make these in the middle of the night, not trying to wake up the rest of my family, not trying to wake up the rest of my fucking building. So it's still been a week. I'm still processing the uh, the rise of protests, the continuing and rise of protests that are slowly, of course, being built up as they build. They gain more sort of middle-of-the-road people, which is good. It gives a lot of numbers, but they really like to co-op messages with their own shit. I I saw a couple of things. I saw there was one that was like a democratic strategist. Uh, You can tell that somebody is garbage if they're a party strategist. He was like polling for police reform at this, polling for defunding police at, I think he was saying 10%. Um, And I was like, sure, except what was it at like two weeks ago? You, you know, you want to jump on the thing that's on the rise. Uh, right now, they're already talking about doing serious... Talking about dismantling the police in Minneapolis right now, which is a major thing. Uh, you also have Andrew Yang, who I supported for a variety of reasons, not without complicated feelings. He did too often jump over with somebody like Elon Musk or Dr. Oz... And I know some other supporters, other Yang Gang, when he went on Dr. Oz, were like, well, you know, sometimes you have to do these shows. And I was like, I don't really have a problem with doing the show. I don't think doing the show was an endorsement. Uh, but unfortunately, he went on social media immediately beforehand and, and had to say a bunch of endorsey things, which I don't think were necessary. I think uh, he could have put out a positive statement that didn't specifically endorse Dr. Oz, say that he was really excited to bring his message to a show that has an audience full of engaged viewers or something that, you know, sounded very positive without actually endorsing the show. So that was the sort of thing that was disappointing to me. Uh, he is was the first candidate that I've ever actually donated money to. Donated to causes lots of times, but candidates I'm always suspicious of. And despite being suspicious of him and continuing to be, I still feel good about the overall message and the idea of doing things that are brand new and introducing brand new ideas and in much the same way that he brought UBI as a message and really introduced it and got it part of the conversation and I think that that was shockingly amazing I think in the same way we have seen 
defunding police rise in visibility and in curiosity. I think I've seen genuinely... Uh, I'm not just talking about people who are on Twitter who are just left-wing Twitter who just shouts out things and can immediately be drawn into an idea like that. I've seen reasonably middle-of-the-road people who are interested and engaged with the idea and genuinely seeking out information on what defunding and abolishing the police as concepts mean. And I think that if the center isn't looking at that momentum, isn't saying these are things that we need to look at, even if they're saying it in a way that isn't promising it, I think that that is... is is going to be their failure. Again, I, I understand that a lot of people in a lot of markets aren't going to be able to run on the concept of we are selling this. Oh, but Andrew Yang was generally positive toward the Minneapolis disbanding, but he had this thing where he said that what they needed to do was to create this new group and it would be the Guardians. <laughs> And so it was ultimately just sounded like rebranded police. I mean, it just reeked of it. There's nothing you can do. Guardians is already, that's, you know. And wearing different uniforms. No, they have to have an entirely different job description. The people you put in, they need to be, you know, predominantly, the, the street level needs to be uh, social workers. Um... I saw a couple of threads on, uh, on, on, on Twitter uh, because frustratingly I've been on Twitter because I didn't actually apparently want to keep my brain. And uh, a couple of, of threads were asking uh, white people what, they, what the police had actually done for them as a practical question rather than in terms of what we sort of believe and have been told and and stuff about what what it is but you know on a one-to-one level I, I don't know if the multiple threads were spread out from each other or inspired by each other or not but i did see more than one and uh i answered one and that was i said that i had had a, a an acquaintance uh in my young adulthood before i'd actually moved out well actually after I'd moved out and moved back with my mother, uh, so when I was 18 or 19, uh, I was living in a sort of a makeshift apartment-ish that was in the basement rec room area of my high school home. I had an acquaintance. He dated a closer friend of mine and might have been dating her at that time. Also the only person I ever met whose favorite band was Foghat. <laughs> I mean literal favorite band, not just he liked Foghat. He made a point that they were his favorite band. He was having some difficulty, and so he asked if he could stay, and it ended up lasting too long, in part because he was having a lot of emotional problems, which is what we get to. We had uh, ultimately had to call uh, someone out because he was suicidal. And... I know for sure the fact that 
who he was and how we knew him and all these other things meant that we would have had a much more successful experience. We would have called sooner, we would have been more comfortable, we wouldn't have felt guilty afterwards if we'd called social workers out instead of calling authority figures, people with guns. Um, uh, my recollection is that the police did an adequate job of doing what needed to be done. Everything else is paperwork, and I think if you just come up with a way to figure out police reports as a starting place, just filing away, you know, I mean, I think ultimately a matter of figuring out who to do stuff with it other than what we think of as police is the answer. But again, I'm an anarchist and I think that that might be something that's down the line. I don't think everybody's ready for there being not somebody eventually down the road. If a, if a couple layers of people have filed through your paperwork for something that didn't involve immediate action. And who doesn't know at this point in 2020 that if you call the police out, even if something happened relatively recently, all they're going to do is take a report. They're not doing any emergency action unless there's something immediately still taking place. Who remembers the first time they learned that filling out a police report doesn't really do anything. That them issuing a warrant on someone that you complained about them committing an offense, including a violent offense, against you means that if they run into that guy, they'll do something. Uh, with me, I was about Peggy's age, which is 9 or 10, and um, a an ex-boyfriend of my cousin was attacking her and she felt threatened and uh, called the police against him and they put out a warrant and that was when and everyone including a lot of people in my family who are a lot older and were white and middle class and expected that telling the police that someone had uh, violently attacked you uh, would cause them to take action and they were as shocked as I was as a nine-year-old to discover that that was absolutely not true whatsoever. So there's really no reason why you're not just calling, making a report over the phone, or putting a report through online. I'm sure that there are arguments that they're going to make. I just don't think that they are, that they are valid. I don't, I, I don't know anybody. If you can find, I'm sure that police who have thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of examples can come up with examples in which the fact that they happened to come down meant that they saw something or knew something that, that we wouldn't have, have known otherwise. But for the most part, we all know that they just take a report and nothing comes to that report. Um, so if you just need to refer to that report, you might as well have just done it online or over the phone. Uh, uh, that would be my only other experience with police that was at all interesting and could be defined as kind of positive, not for the fact that the police did anything, but because they merely existed and could give me a report number. I 
had a collection agency call me once and the guy was super condescending and obnoxious because he was a collection agent I don't I don't know how you do that job and sleep at night I, I, I don't I, I, I get that you convince yourself that people owe people stuff and whatever but because it, it never seems to involve anything except utter creepiness in order to get it I don't I, I, I couldn't convince myself to be a shithead no matter what but he's going through and he's really condescendingly like I'm going uh, you know telling me about these bad checks that I wrote and I'm just really confused because I hadn't had a checking account in a while and uh so I kept asking him for more information. I was like, I know, I really don't know what you're meaning. You know, you know, those checks you wrote to... I think there were two different places, and they had a business name. He was like, when you had this business, Sarver something, and, and I never have owned a business, and if I did own a business, I promise you it wouldn't be called Sarver something. My dad owned a business called Sarver Smithing and Tool, and I always thought that was lame. And then he started Seaforge, which I assume extended as being the same business, although I'm not sure. It, it It's possible that server smithing and tool was never really a business and it was just a name he printed on some stuff and uh and seaforge was what he decided upon once he actually committed to to having a business i'd have to ask my mother but i don't know that i'm interested enough that i'll bother uh next time i talk to her or if she would even remember a sniggling detail like that. But uh, because I always thought the one was lame and the other one... I always thought the one was kind of stupid and the other one was cool. I was a kid. I don't know that I think it's cool now, but, you know, at 11 or so when he started that business, I think I thought it was kind of a cool name. So I know that I would never name a business anything like that if i recall correctly two different stores but i called the one store afterward because uh, he he said that and i was like no i don't i've never written a check i believed either of those stores i had shopped at one store and i had not at the other uh i think the other second one and that was the one i called was like home depot or something like that the other one was a fred meyer and if i recall it was a location that i don't believe i would have been to but I've been to Fred Meyer plenty of times. Um, I ended up contacting the, the stores, and uh, when I was on the phone with one of the clerks, you know, who's like pulling up the, the check things, he told me that the checks were obviously phonies and that he was mad that somebody took them. <laughs> and uh, so I filed a police report uh, that somebody had made these fake checks, and uh, then I provided the case number. All of this was done over the phone, by the way. I never had any police come to my house. I just called the police. I think on a, a non-emergency line. I just gave them the information. And they gave me a report number. I gave the report number to the collection agent. I never heard from them again. I, I, I said I wanted to get the checks and all the information that I wanted, you know, them to follow up with the same diligence that, that they re requested that I followed with them. And, of course... They did not. Which is because they're disreputable fucksticks. The way you sleep at night, as I suggested, is by pretending that you have the moral upper hand. 
But when somebody has had somebody cheat them and wants the information that you have and have it provided to the authorities and you suddenly disappear into the night, that means you are not the person who gets to claim moral authority. And that's who they are. Every last goddamn one of them. So in that case, having a police report number was helpful. So those would be my two things that I stand by. And that was, it, that's not just me with my particular unique experiences. That was over and over the same types of things that people said over and over in which they had anything close to a positive experience or in which they felt like they had nothing, that they had just cops had come to their house, taken a report and nothing had happened with it, which there's no reason to have cops come to your house to take a report that nothing's going to happen with. You might as well just do it online or over the phone. So we're certainly, as a society, wasting a lot of money and having a lot of guys running around town taking reports that don't need to be done in person. And we don't need a rebranded thing for that. We need an entirely different concept. Uh, like I said, if, if, if people feel more confident for some period of time in having the people who accept your reports and in theory will go and take action if they do anything with the report on the absolute minor chances, uh, statistically small opportunities that they have to take action on those things, if those people would still be police and called police and look like police for the time being, uh, that would make sense to me. But I 100% think that that is a step that we would be taking on the way to, to eliminating that and creating entirely new ways of examining that, which I think is something that we can all look at. I think that we could all look at and we could look at while we are on the path to going there, while we are making big, big changes. I don't ordinarily uh, you know, give my money to individuals. Uh, it was in support of ideas that I that I decided I would support Andrew Yang because it was very specific to him having an idea that no one else had that I felt needed to be part of the conversation. So I was giving money to that being added to the conversation. Like I said, I don't really trust candidates. I think that a lot of the problems we have root from either people being disappointed in candidates or in people because they are tied in emotionally to the idea of this person that they follow um, them regardless of the path that they take which I think can be you know very dangerous in a number of of ways and and and, and most of them are very small and that's the reason that most people don't dramatically it's not like your candidate just suddenly you know, guns people down or, you know, takes up endorsing a public execution lottery. For the most part, your candidate just shifts on a couple of things here and there. They pivot. Or they have things that you, that are important to you that they just never take action on but never change their position. They're always, in principle, going to do that. Uh, Democrats are incredibly committed to being the party of this, of we don't do anything, we don't stand for anything interesting. 
we won't fight for anything. And that's the way I feel about a democratic strategist who is saying, you know, we can't go to bat for an unpopular idea. And I, and I say, you know, the idea of politicians, of political parties, um, of having representatives out there um, and not simply have us all vote for each issue as opposed to Congress just on our computers or on our TV each night and have a little debate show up on the TV and you, you know, press one for... The reason we don't have that is because the idea is that people are supposed to go out and lead us that our Congress people and uh, the candidates for Congress and Senate and governors and, and presidents are supposed to lead us toward things that are better. They're not supposed to be telling us they will do the thing we already want. They're supposed to tell us why what they are going to do is best. That is called leadership. The thing where you say, this poll's better than that, is cowardice. And, and that's where I stand with individual candidates. I, I can vote for, for people based on what I think will, will drive forward uh, as best as possible ideas and issues that I support. But I won't. I won't put my emotional eggs in the basket of an individual to do that for me. I'm, I'm still on the idea of what of the what things I, I want to and don't want to to watch. I, I'm not even sure what all I have and haven't said actually inside a podcast. I maybe need to go back and listen to the second episode again. But maybe I'll just let it go. I've recorded a number of things where I discussed this question because it's a big one for me. I, I come back to it time and again, partly because I watch so much shitty stuff and watch stuff by people that I'm not necessarily always comfortable with as human beings, but that I also have things that I watch that are... that I have other things that I won't watch because I'm uncomfortable with who that person is and uncomfortable with what it represents. And sometimes that's just the moment. Uh, like I said, right now, I'm not really comfortable with uh, cop shows. I'll be really curious to see what TV looks like and ratings and what networks and people are, are looking at doing uh, you know, going forward, uh, there was an article in USA Today of all the radical papers out there suggesting that we should, you know, that we shouldn't to watch shows centered around police as heroes. Um, there was a lot of nitpicking uh, over whether or not its characterization of a number of shows were fair. While I think those were reasonable criticisms, I think perhaps looking too deep into shows that might at least be attempting to do something more critical of police might have been a more difficult conversation than was worth trying to dig in at all 
on an article like that, it might have been the time to just say there are shows that dig in deeper on this with varying levels of success. And that now might not be the time for all of them either. Because sometimes pointing a camera at something makes it look cool. And I might have stuck with something like that um, instead of trying to examine the pros and cons of certain shows that make a serious attempt at that. Um, Because I think that that's a really complicated... I think each show would require an article longer than this article was in itself to try to get underneath the skin of whether or not it was successful and in what ways they were successful and which ways they struggled on that issue. So I think you needed to do one or the other. I think you either needed to write a goddamn book or just touch on that particular aspect of it. But I think it's an interesting question. And in this case, like I said previously about my diet, some of that is that I just don't feel like certain things right now at all. Which is not to say that I won't later. That I might not be ready to read books about cops, see movies about cops in a, in a, in a positive light at some point again. Um, I'm almost certain that I will. I haven't thrown out any of the movies that I have. But it doesn't sound like what I want to do today. And I feel like a lot of that is the same with all of those questions, that maybe there are days that there are movie makers or or writers that I have ambivalent feelings about that I might not want to watch some days, but will definitely want to watch other days. Right now, I'm looking at... uh, Right now, I've been watching... uh, With Black Knight Matter in my head, I've been watching um, movies by, by black filmmakers... Uh, I've been watching some uh, that, you know, might be, you know, um, of a more serious nature. I watched a Huey P. Newton story by Spike Lee, but I also watched Posse by Mario Van Peebles. I'm trying to mix that up. I'm I'm trying to. I I just asked people um, on Twitter for suggestions about uh, cult movies psychotronic movies, movies that uh, are outside sort of the 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 canon um, of big budget Hollywood movies that are made by, uh, by black filmmakers. I've gotten some good answers and maybe I'll focus on some of that discussion. Some of them I've seen. Uh, some of them I haven't. Some such as Gonja and Hess haven't watched in some time and have been meaning to because for one thing I watched Horror Noir a while back on Shudder it's really good and uh, it reminded me how good that movie was but it, it it's intense so I've meant to really sit down with some time and energy into it which I, I don't know if I have a good excuse or not not to have done so yet uh, I'm a 
but I also want to go ahead and, and watch. Uh, I, I also would like to follow up by watching Spike Lee's um, "The Sweet Blood of Jesus," which is a remake of Ganja and Hess. Afterward, uh, I'd like to be prepared with that uh, because I'm interested in that concept. Uh, I'm relatively pro remake. I know that that puts me in a weird position with my movie files of my age group, but such is life. I really am. Uh, I guess I grew up with my dad, and he was pro-remake. I remember the, you know, when Invasion of the Body Snatchers and The Fly and The Thing came out, and I remember him being specifically enthusiastic that they were updating these. And, and I know part of that was that that the original movies had been made in black and white and and with less modern special effects techniques and without the... MPA rating system allowing them to put in more blood and or whatever and that updating those with those things specifically seemed interesting in a way that it doesn't necessarily to everyone always seem like it's worth updating uh, things within the same time period uh, that we grew up in I, I do I am sympathetic to the idea that that is not the same thing and yet I'm still generally speaking think oh good that'll be cool and yes even within that realm I still think they're too goddamn many like everybody else does but individually each idea I'm not offended by and, and I'm only sort of vaguely aware aside from the there's too many of them, why any of them particularly bug people. Uh, I feel like there's just too many movies that are really good that there's a shitty remake out already, you know. Um, or a TV movie remake or something. You know, you find me a great western and there's like a usually a TV movie remake of it from the 60s or the 80s or something. And and I don't hate that. There's High Noon 2, uh, which I just finally caught up with. I've sort of always had it in mind to watch. It was written by Elmore Leonard. And it doesn't really have any good reason to exist. It, 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 it was a weird combination of the fact that it does really tie in its moral fabric to the existence of High Noon, and yet it would still almost be better if it wasn't, if it was just uh, a random TV movie western written by Elmore Leonard. I couldn't quite find myself having an opinion, except that I wasn't sure, even with Elmore Leonard having written it, if anybody at all, including myself, would actually get around to watching the goddamn thing if it weren't High Noon 2. But from that perspective, again, with a uh, with a real director like Spike Lee, uh, obviously I find the idea of of remaking something interesting like that to be interesting. I know that not everyone thought that was an interesting idea, and that perhaps not everybody thought it was successful. But I am interested in in revisiting uh, the one and then following up by seeing the the remake and having an opinion based on that. I, I still see a lot of a lot of the movies I see in that regard, uh, what I'm looking through, are law enforcement based. So I can, you know, which isn't exactly where my head's at. The sort of 
well, you know, you can look at um, Black Klansman by, by Spike Lee, uh, which is kind of policeman porn, uh, despite having a lot of other good things to say for itself. Uh, it probably isn't something that I'm going to throw on right now. Uh, but what I've seen is that there are a number of things that I need to, a handful of things that I need to, to see as well. Uh, I, I still, as far as I can tell, people have, have provided pretty solid lists, but it's still a uh, rather depressingly small list. I, I understand why it is that black filmmakers have traditionally sought out more commercial or meaningful or, you know, uh, whatever that sort of art film slash Oscar bait territory. Um, you know, one or the other of those, um, oftentimes with a level of, of flavor, perhaps, that uh, is worth celebrating. Um, in the best cases, uh, you know, I think uh, Carl Franklin has directed a ton of of really good movies, as has uh, Casey Lemons, within the sort of world of genres that I personally seek out. But I'm fading off into the part where I'm being less coherent to myself. So that is my current quest, uh, and, and perhaps I will come back to you uh, refreshed in a week and be able to tell you about some of the things that I've watched and, and why they were uh, interesting to me. Um, and uh, perhaps people either who have listened to this or people on my Twitter feed will have, in the meantime, also provided me with even more examples because that would be uh, really great. Like I said, I am going to revisit and visit a number of the selections that have been offered to me, and I appreciate uh, very much the people who have responded so far and, and pre-appreciate anyone who will respond to it in the future because I, I really would like to see more of those. I feel like those are the two things that I'm feeling right now. I really want unique, interesting perspectives on the world in movie making, and I want to see black filmmakers. And so I, I'm hoping to find, you know, um, more in the upcoming weeks and have that be part of what I'm, what I'm nourishing myself with this year. And for the record, I have Selma on hand to go ahead and give a chance to go ahead and watch. And uh, I've been meaning, I've been meaning for a long time, but in particular this year and even before uh, Black Lives Matter protests begin all over the world, I was already wanted to revisit uh, Malcolm X. I have the Blu-ray sitting on my shelf. It is also on Netflix, for those of you who do not have the Blu-ray on your shelf, at this speaking. Uh, so I will be revisiting that for sure. It's just been a matter of figuring out exactly the right time. I'd, it would be great if I had an opportunity just sitting in the afternoon to just uh, watch that, but I have a tendency to have Peggy, and I'm not sure that that would go well. It's an interesting maturity difference. Uh, in terms of how she deals with uh, movies. Although she did watch um, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory today, which was kind of a big step. She's has the same thing that I always had of being really nervous 
watching shows, I have a very vivid memory of watching an episode of Flipper. They call him Flipper, Flipper, faster than lightning. No one you see is smarter than he. At my neighbor's house once and hiding behind the couch because the boy was climbing onto a boat. No bad guys in the boat. Um, I, I can picture what the boat looks like in my head, but I suspect that this plot probably isn't specific enough to be very helpful to anyone going, oh, yeah, I've seen that. That's the one episode of Flipper where that happens. And we know Flipper lives in a world full of wonder, lying there under, under the sea. It's a very vivid memory, and I don't know. I was in a room in his house watching Flipper by myself, and I have no idea why that happened. Why I was at his house, he lived next door to me, and he wasn't there. Was he taking a bath, uh, doing his chores? No idea on that. But I was hiding behind the couch because it was making me super anxious that the kid was... Climbing onto that boat where he shouldn't be getting into trouble. So I understand where Peggy comes from. But at the same time, during that same time period that I was living at that house, uh, again, where I was about her age, I know I saw Roots. I've been thinking about that since looking at some things that uh, LeVar Burton has been writing lately. And I've just been thinking, because as just a little kid watching that man I thought Kunta Kinte was a the baddest guy in town I, I just he was so amazing to me I also really enjoyed James Earl Jones as Alex Haley those are the two parts of of the original miniseries and then the next generation miniseries so essentially the first story that it tells and the final story that it tells were the ones that really resonated with me as a as a young child. Uh, I used to run around and, and shout, You old African! I've found you! Kunta Kinte! It's a, it's a big moment in Roots Next Generation if you haven't seen it. And, and I found myself uh, wishing that the new miniseries was still streaming. I think it used to be on Hulu and I didn't get around to it. Somebody during all this uh, Black Lives Matter stuff should get it onto some service. I would watch it. Although, again, I'm not entirely 100% sure when. Probably in the middle of the night. When I'm sounding a little mellow, like I am now. But I wouldn't, wouldn't matter. Because I wouldn't be talking. I'd just be watching the show. I'll talk to you all next week. Uh, until then, uh, as always, uh, listen to each other. And? As in the previous two episodes, the opening included a snippet of Skyhawk Beach by Blue Wave Theory on a Creative Commons license. If you want us to say something, what should I say? Make something up. Be excellent to each other.
Party on, dudes! Good one.